What's up, Fight Fam? You're listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. It is Sunday, May 23rd, 2021, and this week's episode, Spring Break 2021. I'm here with a special guest. She is known for her time at MMA Junkie, The Athletic, and is now the number one MMA reporter at fanbite.com. Fernanda Pratish, and she'll be discussing with me the last night's event, UFC Vegas 27, and the Bantamweight headliner between Rob Font and Cody Garbrandt. We'll be discussing this Friday's Bellator event, the rematch between Chris Cyborg and Leslie Smith, and what comes next. And we'll be talking about the latest in MMA news. We'll be revisiting Dana White and his uh, block of George St. Pierre versus Oscar De La Hoya. We'll be talking about the newly announced Bellator flyweight title defense for Juliana Velasquez against Denise Kailholtz. And of course, we'll be talking about a little bit of fun. Which fighters would we bring with us to survive a zombie apocalypse? Very Walking Dead. First off, Fernanda, thank you so much for joining me. It is So you've been on my channel on YouTube several times. But I yes. believe this is your first time on the podcast. So in terms of this platform, welcome. It's very great to have you. Thank you so much. I love it when you say like I'm the number one MMA reporter on Fanbyte, being that I'm the only one. It feels special. Like it's still accurate and it makes me feel special. So I feel like it's the perfect solution. Exactly. I'm not incorrect. <laughs> you are the number one. You are the leading reporter for MMA on Fanbyte.com. This is yeah, not a lie. That's fact. I love it. It's just like a mere uh, adjustment of context, exactly. I guess. Yes. I'll take it. No, but look, you know, for fans who don't know, you've obviously done a lot of great work for several years in mixed martial arts. You know, with MMA Junkie and your interviews, you know, I always remember your one-on-one -on -one with Vitor Belfort. That one was one of your best work. <laughs> and you've done so much, you know, live coverage from Brazil. And your time at The Athletic, you know, great original pieces, great profiles on athletes like Amanda Hibas. So you've been a part of this space for a long time. You bring a very, um, I, I'll call it unorthodox MMA content. You know, your fighters compared to actors from movies and all this other stuff. So it's always been a lot of fun watching your work and seeing your work. So I'm very glad to have you on the show and of course, we've been friends for a couple of years, and uh, you know this, you know how much love I got for you. So thank you for coming on and keeping me company. Oh, I don't know how much I appreciate it. Uh, that interview with Vitor Belfort, <laughs> I laughed because it was just, yeah, it was a whole thing for people at home. If you type Fernanda Prates and Vitor Belfort, you might find the most awkward, insane it's it's a whole experience. I'll give you that. Uh, <laughs> it was a, an interesting one, and inter and it's funny because a lot of people told me uh, that 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 was their favorite, and I'm like, it wasn't my favorite. <laughs> I hated doing it, but I like Peter. By the way, we get along really well. He's a super professional guy, incredibly nice to me. His family is very nice to me. They're great people. It was just like such a weird one to do, but um, I guess. 
if the end result is entertaining, we've done our jobs. So he, I'm glad that that worked he, out in the end. He just went off and you just were along for the ride. It was so much. And knowing you and, you know, kind of knowing him a bit over the years with the interviews and seeing him, it was like, oh my gosh, it just... He was very comfortable telling you, like, no, let me walk you through the next phase mm-hmm. of my life. It was so entertaining, but... um, Like, do you know how much Uber was sold for? I'm like, I, I do not need to guess. I will not guess. I would just sound stupid. I literally have no idea. No, no, guess. And we went there for, like, five minutes. Oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah, it was a thing. It was a journey. But, you know, that's what, what's important. The journey. The friends we made along the way. Certainly. Well, look, um, you've had a bunch of those and you've done great work profiling. Obviously, you know, when they come to Brazil, but you've certainly talked to plenty of American fighters and everything, too. So it's always fun to watch your work. Fernanda, we had a very interesting event last night. I think the main event did not go the way a lot of people thought it would. I think people thought no matter what, this ends quickly and we kind of get to go home and party on Saturday. Instead, we were treated to a five-round clinic from Rob Font against Cody Garbrandt. Um, I guess, what were your biggest takeaways after watching it? Because certainly, I think people thought this, you know, not that Rob Font was certainly over his head, but I don't think anyone expected quite the domination that he put on last night. No, I will be the first one to say, Rob Font, I am sorry I will eat my words, not because of, I didn't really have a prediction for last night. Honestly, I wasn't really invested in that event. Like I didn't even stop to really think about it that much. It just struck me as strange, uh, not strange, unexpected that I would ever see Rob Font in a main event against a former champion because I made up my mind way too early about Rob Font in the UFC. Like I kind of just had this, idea that this was going to be just a competent and exciting bantamweight he he is an exciting fighter has always been who has like finishing ability but to me he had just like middle of the road written all over it right like that's just how kind of how I made up my mind about him from the start and I it's funny because I keep warning people, like, just don't do that. <laughs> like, we're setting ourselves up for failure when we just decide that about fighters. But I did that with him. I, like, literally, he just registered as that uh, in my mind. And then to, you know, first what he did to Milo Moraes, right, in the previous mm-hmm. fight. That was already extremely impressive. And then he came in you know, against Cody Garbrandt. And like you said, just put on a clinic. Like, his lead hand was amazing. Like, his jab was absolutely on point. Uh, Cody, and I'm sure we'll get to it, like, I'm still trying to assess whether he looked bad or if Rob Font made him look bad or (laughs) maybe a little both, a little bit of both, because he did look uh, a little gassed. And, of course, as we know, this inevitably influences outcomes in fights. But... He looked so freaking sharp. He looked like an actual, you know, contender in the division. And I'm just really impressed. And, you know, like I said, Pat's Fernanda. (laughs) Shame on you. (laughs) Lesson learned. You know, for me, um, certainly, uh, I think... uh, the patience from Rob. Every time I was breaking it down, I thought, well, Rob's going to try to get in his face. He's going to try to 
make Cody not just settle in? Because it, it seemed like Cody's really bought into just the Mark Henry system and just, you know, be patient and pick his spots and use his athleticism and his power. And so the fact that Rob Font really beat him at his own game and dictated the pace and, you know, just kept the pressure on him in that way, I was very impressed. I think the biggest uh, thing that I could compliment him on is his patience. He would yeah. get in and it looked like he was about to start just letting the hands go and try to get him out of there. No, he would stop, he would back off. And I think that was the biggest key because he never stayed there long enough for Cody to, you know, go back to 2017 Cody Garbrand and just, you know, throw down and try to brawl with him. And I think that was the thing. I felt like Cody a bunch of times, you've seen the knockout of Rafael Asunza by now. He kept doing that dip down and you could almost see Rob Font like, no, 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 I'm not mm -hmm. going to stay right there for that shot. And I think that paid off. Because it just led to this accumulation that Cody started wearing on his face with mm -hmm. all the blood. Um, so I was impressed there with Rob. Um, when you talk about the Marlon Moraes fight, you know, like yourself, I was like, maybe he, look, that was a great win. But I think a lot of people admitted Marlon should not have come back so quickly after yeah, being slept absolutely. by mm -hmm. uh, Corey Sanhagen. There was no... There was none of that. That was, mm -hmm. if anything, this made that win look even better because mm -hmm. there was none of that question about Cody. Um, so you, his patience for five rounds, his technical technical accuracy, um, all of it there, and I think all of that you got to compliment Rob. For Cody, uh, he, when he he took a year off, and mm -hmm. he's not ever going to make any excuses. I will give it the caveat, did all the health issues, you know, he, I think mm -hmm. he hurt his shoulder, he got the COVID, he had, he needed... It was a the, long holler. Yeah, blood clots, and mm -hmm. he was on the blood thinners. He went through a lot, and he mm -hmm. admitted, it was not no sniffles <laughs> for a week. I, you yeah. know, I was hit hard. I, I got put on the deck by COVID. Um, oh, yeah. did, it, did it lead, you know, did he start to feel that toward the latter half of the fight? You know what? Possibly. I will say yeah. I felt like Cody, you know, wasn't quite the guy, but I can't tell you that a healthy Cody would have had an easy time with the Rob Font we saw last night either. So a little bit of both. Was that 100% Cody? No, but I also think he was fighting a Rob Font that just wasn't going to be denied either on Saturday. So Yeah, I, I, I think that's the perfect reading. And I think at first when Cody, because obviously Cody went a little uh started very like wrestle heavy and a lot of people were surprised by that and i think and i read a lot of people like sort of commending him on that right because the the issue with cody in the last few fights we noticed was his chin right so i think everybody was just afraid of him not learning from his mistakes and coming out as a madman and then we're like oh he's like wrestling like okay good good for him like he's becoming a different fighter all good all good <laughs> that's uh that's fernanda having technical difficulties on the other end yeah my mike just uh decided that he was just it's a he i don't know because yeah. in portuguese microphone is a masculine now but that's a whole other thing we're not he, here for portuguese lessons he had a shane, he had a shane burgos moment he was in then he was out <laughs> and it just yeah, took like a couple of seconds to register for his nervous system to catch up um but yeah so and i you know, and I, I, I thought at first, I saw some people like uh, complimenting him on that. But then here's the thing, right? Wrestling is 
uh, unless you've been really doing it like consistently your entire life, because, you know, there's a whole physiological explanation about the kinds of efforts that you do. They all demand different things from the body and the things that you use to might just be a little as demanding for you. And it's a lot of the reason why I think a lot of people just go to strikers and okay, yeah, he just needs to learn how to wrestle now. And it's not that easy because you might develop really good defensive wrestling, I guess, but uh, you might just be setting yourself up for failure because it's hard to keep up when you change. So, and I think at first, like, we kind of saw that, we kind of saw a change in strategy, uh, and then he guessed. Uh, he, I think he guessed. He looked really tired. And uh, I think we can... I agree with you. Like, how do we even know how much his health issues impacted him, right? Like how much being a long hauler impacted him. We know that uh, COVID takes a toll on the lungs, right? It's, it's a known effect. I was, I had COVID. I was fortunate enough that it was so light for me. I took like chest x-rays right after and did heart tests and I was like, good to go. I was blessed. Um, Cody did not have the same look. Uh, the absence um, the pressure you're coming in from, you know, all these losses, you, uh, you coming in with those doubts, probably about your chin. Like we had those doubts Did he have those too. So it's a lot to put on him. Uh, and you add that to the kind of fighter that he met, like hindsight is 2020, but, um, I was talking to my fiance last night and we we're like, was it like, cool of us to put um sorry i said three straight losses i was just checking he beat Rafael obviously yeah. in his last fight just four losses in uh his last fight fights but you know we had those doubts and all those things and should we have put cody against rob font right now maybe give him like after all this time after you know everything else maybe ease him back into it i don't know but yeah and at that same time we had rob incredibly inspired so who knows maybe cody was great but we just didn't <laughs> we couldn't see that because rob was so fucking good that he made him look bad so who knows i i'm curious like i'm a little sad for for cody for going through all of this i'm curious to see how he's gonna bounce back yeah i think when you look at cody uh, i mean he had it set up i mean you're talking about if someone gets injured you're talking maybe jump into a bantamweight title fight he was given, you know, ver that verbal commitment, you're going to be the next flyweight title challenger. Yeah. yeah, so to have all that evaporate, it's certainly, I mean, obviously, you know, everyone, you know, a loss sucks for everybody, particularly so for him. He had a little more on the line that probably he lost in this fight than another top contender, right? So um, that's tough. Uh, I will say his chin did rather well considering how many shots he took. Oh, so yeah. yeah, I'll give him that credit there. But it leads to the question now, what do we do with Rob Font? Because Aljamain Sterling, he said uh, at best he will come back in November. And mind mm -hmm. you, I, I put an asterisk on that because when you talk about a neck procedure, I think yeah. uh, take more time out of caution. Mm -hmm. I, I would never say, oh yeah, we're going to come back early from a neck procedure. No, no, no. So that leads to the question, does he fight this year? If he doesn't, is Peter Yan going to wait? If Peter Yan doesn't wait, is he going to fight the Corey Sanhagen TJ Dillashaw winner? If that, you know, the TJ or Corey winner, is that that guy going to wait? You know, th there's so many question marks. 
there is still the potential and there's still scenarios where somebody doesn't wait and Rob fought, fights the TJ or Corey or even Pewter possibly. But I will say that when you talk about how close all these guys are to a title fight, mm-hmm. it's very hard for me to say he's going to get one of those top two guys in his next outing. So I'm not really sure what we could see from Rob. I think he may be he may be waiting a minute and he may wait to see if he gets the loser of Corey and TJ at the later in the year. But he should get a fight that should propel him to a title fight next. I just don't know when or who that could be as of right now. Yeah, like you said, and I was listening to the Bloody Elbow uh, post-fight show, and I agreed with what they said, that it's really a shame and a testament to how great the bantamweight division is, right? And how, like, in some divisions, uh, women's featherweight, uh, we're like... (laughs) What the fuck do we do now? And with Bantamweight, we have such a wealth of, of, of options and ideas. But that we might have seen the best Rob Pond. Like, this might just be the peak of his career and the moment for him to actually be able to take that leap and become a title challenger. And just because of the forces of circumstance and timing, um, that might pass him by, you know. And it's it's unfortunate, but it is a reality of the division at the same time though like people get injured um there's a lot of short notice stuff with you know i'm guessing they're gonna do the rematch with aljo and Piotr Jan. it would seem like the thing to do but who knows i don't even know if something else it's hard for me to keep up but i think that that's probably what the ufc has on their radar right now and then, like you said, we have Sanhagen and Dillashaw, and I think either of them winning, but particularly Sanhagen, how do you deny him the title shot at that point? Um, or do you put the winner of Dillashaw or Sanhagen, whatever, against Rockmont? If Aljo is going to have to take that that extra time, which I agree with you, <laughs> better be cautious with next mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. I want to fuck around with that. So it really is messy. I think it's really going to come down to timing, honestly, like it does with these things. Like somebody wants to fight at a certain time. Rob says yes, and it happens. A fight falls through. Rob sweeps in. Like I think that we've seen enough of it for it to happen in the UFC, but I don't know. I was reading somewhere, and uh, somebody just threw like the Dominic Cruz against Rob Fawn at this point and I was like uh, do I like it? <laughs> I don't dislike it uh, you know th- you also got a another recently announced last week Jose Aldo versus Pedro Munoz the winner yeah. of that one maybe for Rob uh, yeah because it, it would be a rematch with Munoz even. oh yeah you know uh, but um he's got options it's just gonna I think he's gonna wait they're all waiting at the top of Bantamweight they want to know mm-hmm. how soon will Aljo come back and I will say in particular, I see it more likely that Corey Sanhagen would stay busy if he beat TJ. I mm-hmm. feel like TJ Dillashaw at this stage of his career, if he knows he's got that title shot locked up, he'll wait as long as he needs to for Aljo and Pewter to handle it. I think that if you know you got it, why would you after he's already, you know, he's been to the summit and he's had gold and he knows his reputation is where it's at right now and everything, so he doesn't want to push it, you know, risk it too much. 
but um yeah uh, there's options for him and i you know before we move on because we've got a couple more things uh i want to acknowledge rob you know this one marlon marais the sergio pettis win which looks it's aged like fine wine since sergio went to bellator and won the yeah. title uh like you said you know i think this was a guy you know he kept getting injured he was only fighting once a year 180 he is you know sometimes you just gotta yeah. wait for your time this is rob font's time i want to acknowledge that yeah um in the strawweight co-main event we expected probably another closer fight and instead mm-hmm. carla spars the show just takes down you know yan shonan just gets a little wild early and I don't know if it was just the acumen of Carla Spars on top of her, if it was just a bit of that panic and she was feeling that top control and the elbows that softened her up, but it seemed like after a minute or two, Jan just accepted she was going to be on bottom and she just did not have an answer to get out from underneath Carla Sparza. I found that very surprising because we know she's worked on it a lot. We know she is a very competent, consistent performer in the UFC strawweight division. And instead, Carla Esparza made her look like she did not belong in there. Mm-hmm. I was uh, very impressed. What about you? Oh, absolutely. Like, we got a finish from Carla Esparza. That's not, <laughs> that's not an everyday event. It's like Groundhog's Day, right? It's like, oh my. Yeah, it's like, I think her last one, I'm actually looking at her record right now. Her last finish win, because she was finished, was the Rosa Mayonas fight in 2014. Oh, wow. So so that's how long it had been since we had a Carly Spurs finish. Yeah, she was just absolutely dominant. She made um, Young look like she had no idea what she was doing, which we know is not the case. And that's a testament to just how how much like of a woman on a mission Carla Esparza was yesterday. I was absolutely impressed. I actually, like I said, I wasn't really paying that much attention to the card, but like I just kind of figured Jan would win and we saw what happened. Good on Carla. Like that's, if that's a time to like come up with a finish, like a dominant performance, you had a streak but you want to make it like freaking undeniable. Mm-hmm. That's the way to do it. And that's the right time to do it. So good for her. Yeah. Uh, big exclamation point, which leads to it now. Like, does this get her the rematch with Rose Namajunas? It should. I did see they asked mm-hmm. Dana White bluntly, well, did she do it? And he was on the fence. Is it Carla or is it a rematch with Zhang Wei Li? I will acknowledge Zhang Wei Li is a big name. Her, we know she was a big deal in China, and like I mm-hmm. said, we don't see the numbers being in you know the Western Hemisphere, or I forget where Brazil is right now. Oh wait, you're in Mexico <laughs> right now. But never mind. I'm in Mexico, but yeah. you, you get what I mean. You know, the yeah. fact is, you know, we don't see how popular she is on Weibo, the social media they have over there. But we've mm-hmm. been told it's a big number. I acknowledge that it's still a big fight, similar to. Cody Garbrandt, TJ Dillashaw, when they ran it back immediately, even though TJ was pretty assertive in that fight. So could I see a scenario where they do Zhang Wei Li just because it quote-unquote sells better? Yes, but I think when you talk about the nature of that loss and that first-round knockout by Rose, it's hard to deny running it back with Carlos Sparza after that one. It just... um. 
it just checks all the boxes. And like I said, I get it. Zhang Wei Li probably is more familiar. I think people may be similar to Rob Font. They thought Carla Sparza as the division maybe passed her for a minute. She's mm. kind of reinvented it and she's gotten better and mm -hmm. she's back now. So Carla has my vote. And also when you think about she beat Marina Rodriguez, who is in talks to fight the other candidate, possibly Mackenzie Dern. Mackenzie Dern, yeah. I, I feel like, well, that just kind of locks it up for Carla. I don't think that there's anything more she could do. You know, she can't make herself more popular overnight. So yeah, that's it. She, she hasn't made herself popular up until this point like that's just not a thing that's happening and let's face it right like we're saying she's not a finisher like she doesn't have the style that's gonna get a bunch of fans um and yeah money wise like that's to me pretty much the only explanation to do to 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 Zhang Weili and Rosa Mayun is over um I'm with you in that I get it from a business perspective it does make sense and Zhang Wei Li, obviously, just such a, an amazing fighter. I'm not denying her uh, that she should get a rematch. She should, but like Carla Esparza made her case perfectly. And there's a storyline that she has beaten Rose when both were different fighters. Rose, I, I would argue, even more so. So you have that narrative because that could have been different if Zhang. Uh, Wiley won the fight against Rose we would ha be having a different conversation but with Rose as a champion with Rose having fought the people who ha she has fought in the UFC already with Carla being on not only a, a streak but getting like this exclamation mark win over a, a, an opponent who was also streaking who was also in a very good position you put all of that together it really if not now when right like what would how what how else could she frame this? And I don't think she could. Um, like you said, I think the other, I, I probably I think this is probably just gonna do the rematch. Honestly, even though I'm Team Carla here, um, maybe Jung gets another fight before yeah. having a shot at the title. Uh, Jung Joanna too. That that was another banger. Everybody would love to watch a rematch. But and then you think about the other people. Uh, Marina, like you said. Amazing fighter coming off a really good performance against um, Shaw Watterson, but she lost. Okay, it was close. It was even a split decision, but she lost to Carla. And Mackenzie, Mackenzie, I think it's, let's see what happens in this one. If she beats Marina, I do think that there could be a case made. She is also um, on a four-fight streak, um, all finishes, obviously a very exciting fighter. A prospect, somebody that the UFC is interested in looking at. She remar recovered remarkably after losing to Amanda Hibas, which let's all remember she fought six months after giving like birth to a human child. <laughs> <laughs> it was a human child, really. <laughs> a human, a human mini person, but I, like mini I thought figures. It was a, I thought it was a tiger. No, <laughs> oh, it might be like a demigod because like it's also like. It's her and a surfer, so it's probably like the most athletic child on planet Earth. Uh, might be like a future superhero, who knows? Like surfing. Give Lois some time. Like little, we'll see a teenager, the one that surfs in a gi. <laughs> no, no I, I'm with but, you there. Yeah, you, right. I'm, I'm with you there. I think that, um, you know, all the chips are there for Carla. I, I, I will say, I think it could possibly come down to how do they put Rose? Because... 
I think we've seen the last few of the numbered events, pay-per-views here in America, um, they, they've been triple stacking them because they're trying to, you know, sell out every arena, every venue they come to, you know, three title fights in Florida, and then they had, you know, Nate Diaz in Texas, and now, you know, June, we were talking about, well, they just had the flyweight title, that sucker's one of the biggest cards of the year now with Nate, Figueredo Moreno, Adesanya, and uh, Vittori. You got to imagine that wherever they put Rose next, they're going to triple stack or double stack that card again. So if she is the headliner, maybe they feel like they need Zhang Weili. If she's mm-hmm. like third from the bottom, you yes. know, then suddenly putting her with Carla, I think that it's much easier to do because, oh, well, you know. Well, we could put Zhang Weili versus somebody else and it's a good fight night and it does good ratings or even helps another pay-per-view. And then you kind of get two fights rather than one if you put them back together. So I think it just comes down to the timing and the placement on mm-hmm. um, who they, where they see Rose on a card. But I will say I am interested in her next fight because I think that after you saw what Rose did to Weili... She's probably one of the more must-watch fighters of 2021 whenever she comes back. So, very yeah. interesting. Um, we will come back a little bit. We'll touch on UFC. But uh, the other big news, Paul Felder retiring. Um, he does it unexpectedly on the air. Um, you know, what I will remember most from Paul Felder, the fighter, uh, just... It just seemed like he always got into bloody fights. And it's like, mm-hmm. win or lose, oh, it's going to be good. He's going to throw down. He's going to go out on his sword. And, you know, two bangers with Edson Barbosa. Um, move up and wait, short notice, Mike Perry, and he's throwing down with him. I'm going to remember that. And then the real MVP, Fight Island, no warning, his... Uh, I forget if they're current teammates or former teammates, but Jared Gordon, his whole corner catches COVID. He's by himself. And Paul starts commentating, leaves the desk, goes to corner Jared, comes back to the desk to finish the pay-per-view. I mean, what more can you say about the guy? Just, um, I love his uh, analysis. I think that he was one of the first non-stars. Like, they had Dominic Cruz and... Bisping and Cormier, guys who'd been in big fights and maybe held titles. Mm-hmm. He was the first non-superstar, quote-unquote, analyst that they had that yeah. they re- that really shined. So I'm looking forward to him at the desk, but I will remember just, you know what? Great television every time he was booked for a card. And so congrats, yeah. Paul Felder. What about you? Yeah, he, I think he's the kind of... He's the guy who won us over, right? Yeah. Like, I feel like some either for circumstance or what they did before the UFC or just like some guys and girls, um, they, they have our attention right away. Right. Like, or because the UFC is behind them early on. Like there are several reasons why some fighters just like we're invested in them pretty early on. And I don't think that was the case with Paul. I think he was a guy who was just kind of there for a little bit. And then, you know, we started getting, because I remember when I was working for Junkie, for instance, and something I did a lot was like review interviews, review, um, just like summarize MMA Junkie radio interviews, turn them into stories. And, you know, I felt, and Felder was like a common guest there. And it wasn't, they weren't blockbuster stories. They weren't stories that were doing major hits. They were not, 
in our prime slots. Uh, but I just remember like being interested, like, oh, this is a guy who seems like he's got layers. <laughs> he contains mm-hmm. multitudes. <laughs> and he had this past uh, acting and stuff and seemed like very bright and very aware. And he has that, I think, that effect of being like this sort of composed gentleman in real life. And then in the cage, like just something happens and he's a beast, which will always be fascinating to me at some fight of course every fighter has a little of that he has a lot of that (laughs) um and i love him in the booth and i'll say something else i like him uh, as an interviewer because that's a different skill altogether i you know it seems simple just like after the fight just ask those like very basic questions to fighters these they're like in the booth they're calling the action they're like having to make all those decisions quickly and and then you have to like at the same time process the action enough to come up with the questions and then you have to go there and like and it's an awkward setup now with covid and it's the whole thing it's a skill it's not for everyone and i mean some do it better than others Cormier, for instance, I love Cormier. I think he's awesome. He's funny. He's a great guy. I think in the interviews, he's a little eh. mm-hmm. Felder. Bisping, I think he's. Uh, I think I like him. I think he's interesting and organic. Um, with Felder, you see, like he he seems comfortable. He gets what's thrown at him. He doesn't necessarily just ask the easiest questions. So um, he, I think, he actually has a future in this. He's competent at it. And it's obvious it's a smooth career transition. And it's it ends up, I think, being one of the very few feel-good stories we get in the sport, unless um, it's not it. But he did seem pretty... And, and the way he presented it, it, it was all like... It was very much textbook. Right? It was very much what we always ask of these guys. Like, mm-hmm. right? Leave at the right time. Like... Yeah. And he didn't leave as a champion. He was actually coming off losses, but you're doing it. But they weren't terrible losses at the same time. They were against Dan Hooker and, and Rafael dos Anjos. And, and people are still you know, calling him out. Yeah, people are still calling him out. He's still up there. So he's like, we keep talking about this elusive idea of a perfect retirement, right? And we don't even know what it is. We just know it's there. And I think that that's as close as you can get to it, to this idea that we have in our minds of quitting at the right time. Um, so I'm really, I'm, I'm really happy for him. Like I don't know Paul Felder. Paul mm-hmm. Felder doesn't care that I'm, <laughs> that I'm happy for him, but I am. I think that this is like, you know, just a, a very smooth way to to transition into a new career, and I'm pretty sure he's going to be very successful at whatever he does next. I want to give a final button. The last fighter to not only defeat but finish Charles Oliveira. And I like that he teased about it like he said to Charles. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm sorry, but if you have dreams of getting that one back, it's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> like, I get to ride off into the sunset with that one. But um, no, congrats, Paul Felder. And I look forward, like yourself, Fernanda, just um, continued years and work at the desk. I think it's a great role for him. And I will always remember, you know, like, hey, that dude could throw down, too. Yeah. And bleed well. His blood is, like, the most... Just notice it. The contrast with his pale skin. It's such a red, vibrant blood. I know that sounds disgusting, but it is what it is. I don't think he's a natural redhead. I think it's just, you know, like, his hair got dyed from so many fights in his career. (laughs) That'd be badass. Right? (laughs) Dude, imagine. 
Canelo. This is that's one a... hair for each of my victims. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, let's uh, go back to Bellator real quick on Friday. Um, the big takeaway, uh, Leslie Smith probably eats more direct shots from Chris Cyborg than anyone I can remember in recent history. And almost goes the distance, but I think that the, my biggest takeaway, besides, you know, Chris Cyborg is still capable of suplexing you on any given oh, night. Um, just um, patient technical didn't look like she'd been in a hard fight and at uh, 16 years in the game I think Chris is 35 36 years old right now uh you know just um well real quick what were your thoughts on the fight before because we have a few things to get through yeah yeah I mean I think my thoughts were the same as everybody else's like Leslie Smith is so tough but when you see an entire timeline praising someone's toughness you know what that means. <laughs> you know that that person is kind of getting their asses kicked, but in like a, a very composed and dignified manner. And that was Leslie, right? Like she was taking everything and just kept coming forward. Just amazing. Like we, the heart of Leslie Smith is just something else entirely. And of course, outside of the cage, um, I'm just such a, an enormous fan of Les Smith. I think what she has done, you know, her courage to stand up for the things that she believes in, even when it cost her uh, opportunities. I was so freaking happy to see her get this shot at, at Bellator, you know, with the way that things ended with her in the UFC, that she, you know, got into a different promotion, got a title shot, got that rematch. Like, to me, the whole arc was really cool. And I think that, you know, commend Leslie for everything despite what happened. But then she was against Cyborg. And Cyborg, like you said, 16 years into the game, and she does not look like she's decaying, which is insane to me. I just recently wrote a column about how it's like an organic inevitability that we all like decline. And I'm sure it will happen for Cyborg actually. But it's not happening now. In fact, she seems to be evolving as a fighter. She seems to have learned from that loss to Amanda Nunes. She seems to have made the adjustments. I think for a long time, people just really um, dismissed her as this like power fighter. Like she just muscled her competition. And then what we saw again is that that's not what it is. She's also powerful, yes, but she's also a technical striker. Uh, she can suplex you into like the fucking next dimension. <laughs> she's she's got a ground game. Like Cyborg is just an insanely complete fighter who is still learning, and that is terrifying. I, I think that um, and if I may say so, I feel like she's looked leaner. Uh, people aren't really yeah. acknowledging that, but for example, when she fought Julia Budd, Julia Budd is just a unit, right? She is a physical mm -hmm. specimen at 145, and I felt like. I would have thought Chris Cyborg would have packed on the muscle just like her. I feel like she's just made herself a little leaner. And I think that that is, you know, like, hey, look, she's trying to fight for five rounds and be patient. And she's not, she's picking her moments when to surge forward. She doesn't, you know, unless she has you honestly hurt and staggered, she doesn't go into kill mode. Like I think we mm -hmm. seem to see her do for years in the past. Yeah. Um, and I think all of that is the evolution, you know, similar to, we talk a bit, Rob Font, just patient, pick his moments, not stay in there to brawl unless, uh, 
he had that spot. I think we've seen a lot of similar things from Chris over the last few yeah. years, um, which I agree with you. She hasn't slowed down yet. And I've actually written that um, I think that she knows that time is she she's aware. It's like, yeah. look, you know, it's going to happen. You know, you just kind of run and suddenly things are hurting and things just didn't <laughs> loosen up right. But I think she's she, an athlete too. Like she's super active. She's one of those people who are always like doing something. Yeah, but I think that um she's trying to get these numbers in. She's kind of just trying to add to her legacy while she's still while the engine is still running at full speed. Mm-hmm. I yeah. like the Katzingano fight. I think that's the last she beats Kat, she's swept the Bellator Featherweight division. Um mm-hmm. you could do a rematch with Julia, you could do former title challenger Olga Rubin, but I think we see that Chris beats Kat. That's the big four in Bellator. That's kind of mm-hmm. all she's got left. And like I said, there's other people there, but the mm-hmm. the gap between Cyborg and them yeah. really, and you could argue that gap is already there now. And so I yeah. think that says everything you need to say. There was a lot of talk about Kayla Harrison. And yes. so she's doing her thing in PFL. I felt like this weekend was probably she was the second biggest winner because mm-hmm. I think that after when you think about Kat Zingano and respectfully, you know, I like Kat. I've always liked her story. I think she's a very tough, very underrated contender. I don't like her at 145. I'll just yeah. say that right now. Um, yeah. But then when you look at what happened in UFC, you had Norma Dumont, shock former title challenger Felicia Spencer, then say she wants to go back to 135, and I'm like, this is the best weekend of Kayla Harrison without <laughs> fighting. Because now it's like, well, no, really. What do you, you have? I feel like, you know, people, oh, Amanda killed the featherweight division. No, nah, that was Norma oh. Dumont on a random Saturday. <laughs> you know, think about it. Felicia Spencer now taken off the board for a minute. Now you have Danielle Wolf, who respectfully is only 1 and 0 yeah. as a professional. And then you have uh, Chris Cyborg about to sweep. Kayla Harrison, you know, becoming a free agent, which is the impression I think all of us have gotten that she's yeah. going to do at the end of the year. I have said, I don't know if, she, if one, she wants to take a two-fight deal to only fight Amanda, because she can't make 135. So the only thing in UFC is fight Amanda if you win, if you get an immediate rematch. It depends, is UFC willing to break the bank for her and maybe they try to build her or you come to Bellator and you kind of just do exactly what Chris Cyborg has done and fight several fights there. You have a deep roster and, you know, maybe they uh, open the bank for her. So what are your thoughts? Because I feel like on paper, Kayla and the UFC are just kind of star-crossed lovers. They're just not meant to be in the Mm -hmm. UFC. But I feel like Bellator and all that, that's like, you know, the perfect relationship. That's a nice guy right there for her, Fernanda. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) Like, like may not be, like, the most eye-popping of them, but might just be the best fit. And he loves her, so he's ready to be there for her, all that stuff, you know? Like, ride or die stuff. Uh, Honestly, I... Will the UFC US the question, right? To be ready to break the bank for her. Because what? I don't know, Kayla Harrison, but it does appear to me that she's like kind of a businesswoman. 
when it comes to her career, right? Like she seems to be making the moves that she understands will be better for her financial future. Um, I think that's her interest, even though she is a competitor, of course, uh, I don't think you win two Olympic (laughs) gold medals by not really caring about winning. You just want to be there. But I do think that I don't really think that she would undersell herself to go to the UFC if the money wasn't there. And I, my impression right now is that the UFC doesn't want to put the money there for anyone, that they're very content with just keeping busy. So filling up the cards with like contender people, just running that kind of like puppy mill type of situation. Uh, we saw that with the Ngannou Jones fight. Like, So in my mind, would they be willing to just spend money and bring Kayla for a division that would basically just be her and Amanda Nunes just to get that one fight. Like I said, oh, maybe a one-off, but you know, that's not really the UFC's business model, right? Mm-hmm. So I wonder, my instincts is that no, they won't do it. Even though Dana White changed his tune a little bit, like if she wants to come to the UFC, we're ready, but we know what this means. If she's willing to take the pay cut and come here, we'll, we'd love it. Um, but then again, the UFC surprises me sometimes. Uh, Michael Chandler ha- remains a huge surprise to me. I did not expect that. I did not expect them to get behind him so much. So I I have to like be open to being proven wrong here. With Bellator, like you said, I feel like they have different negotiation tactics. So that's the star. They're less like strong many types. So who knows how much that will influence it. Um, and we would get the Chris Cyborg and Kayla fight. But then beyond Chris Cyborg, uh, are they, why would they be keeping Kayla, you know, like yeah. there to fight other people in a division that by itself doesn't really carry intrigue? So in a sense, Bellator and the UFC, I, I think, kind of are in the same situation in that this is a division run by two people. There are two people that we're interested in. Yep. And the rest, you know, like, no disrespect to all of them. Like I said, I love Katzingano, but, you know, the star is Chris Cyborg. And the star at 145 in the UFC is Amanda. So yep. what do we do with that? I would love it either way, though. Like. <laughs> I just want to see like Kayla take that step up in competition because it's really hard now. We're seeing her look so good. And Larissa Pacheco is no like, um, you know, we've we've seen that she's not just like any fighter. I'm not discounting the level of the competition Kayla has had at PFL, but um, we're just curious, I think all of us, to see how much is really Kayla uh, good at MMA and how much is her like being okay at MMA and being an amazing athlete? So who knows? I'm I'm interested either way. I do think that uh, she might go to either one. But we'll see. I'm I, I don't know. I don't know what goes on with those people. They make just weird choices. Like Norma Dumont saying that she wants to go back to 135 after. At the same time, I did read a story with her. Like um, it was a uh, on MMA fighting. I haven't opened it. I just saw the title, so I don't know. But in the title, she was saying like she didn't want to call out Amanda Nunes before she was ready, um, which is noble and maybe good for her health. <laughs> I, I think that's being a realist. And you know what? And I respect it because um, 
this is one of the reasons why Michael Bisping is one of my favorite commentators is he'll say a few things that you shouldn't say but are so true. Like yeah. <laughs> someone's getting beat up and he says like, you know, Paul Felder, you know, sometimes, depending on the situation, sometimes running away is intelligently defending <laughs> yourself. Yeah. Saturday night did not... Amanda Nunes watched that on Saturday and was like, you know, like Nina, you know, like, ah, come on, man, you know. Like, she didn't look up from her phone to watch Norma Dumont beat uh, Felicia. But, yeah, you know, my thing about Kayla is that she's the odds-on favorite to win a million dollars again. I don't know what UFC would pay her, but I promise you it's not a million-dollar purse. I I think she won't be expecting that, though, right? Yeah. Yes, but then my thing is, like, okay, is how much more is Bellator willing to pay? to keep her because i at least with ufc with amanda amanda could just fight a 135 you could find 135ers all the time it's already there they have to not only sign for one fight for amanda but you're essentially putting multiple girls on contract for the featherweight division in ufc and i think that's the thing is that like i say a one or maybe a two fight deal for kayla at how much money whereas Mm -hmm. bellator you know they're going to come in with a base deal and they're going to sell her on the fact that it's like, look, we got more than one fight for you here. Yeah. This is our money, take it or leave it. And I think that is what it's going to come down to. I will throw, and uh, just to wrap it up, the X factor is that Kayla is managed by Ali Abdelaziz. We know he has a fantastic relationship with Dana in the UFC. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and I think that's something you can't really underestimate. Could they get a deal done? Yes. Look how many deals they do all the time with the dominance MMA. So that's true. But yeah, for me, it just feels like competitively and maybe financially, there just seems to be more upside in Bellator. Even if, let's be honest, you know, people are going to be like, well, you got Chris Cyborg at this stage of her career, whereas Amanda was doing all this. I get it. But then even she's admitted, you know, like, it's now an uncomfortable situation. She doesn't spar with Amanda anymore ever since she said, well, I want to be the best. And so now mm-hmm. they haven't actually done like contact training with the, each other. So it's like, you know, and she said, we don't want to create another Jorge Colby situation at American Top oh. Team. So, yeah. well, neither of them are Colby. So there's that. Um, he, I, I will say this, though, like having seen them both up close, Kayla I interviewed when I was working for a sport TV and she, cause she would had like this rivalry with Mayra Guiara, Brazilian judoka. Nope. And she's a, a, like, she's big, she's large. Cause I'm, I'm a, I'm a large individual myself. I'm as they would say, big boned. She's like taller and just like built. Of course she was fighting much heavier mm-hmm. and judo than she is now. And at 145 she'd be slimmer, but she's just like a strong, strong individual. And Amanda is not, she's not like a huge person at all. So, the physicality itself to me is already interesting. Yeah. Like Kayla will just really be able to outmuscle Amanda in a way. We don't we know that's not enough. <laughs> I would not pick against Amanda probably against a single other human on the planet at this moment, uh, because she has given me no reason. But it is intriguing. And I gotta say, the takedowns of Kayla, like, that's the big thing. It's like, oh, well, you know, can she, like, avoid this? It's like, yeah, but can you get out from under her? Because mm-hmm. that's a woman who's trained her whole life keeping you down and grappling with you. Yep. So, 
<sighs> and I will say, you know what? A year from now, we're talking about uh, Kayla Harrison and Bellator. A year older, Chris Cyborg. Maybe yeah, Ka- that's true. That's a factor. Because oh, we've seen like the we've seen things happen fast, right? Yep. Like right now, it seems like Chris is not slowing down, but like Tony Ferguson, you yeah. know, like shit goes downhill fast. Let's not jinx it. <laughs> oh, that, yeah, <laughs> right? Okay. Oh man. Well, you know what? Okay, so it's MMA spring break. There's no fights coming up, but there was still some stuff to talk about. I think the big one, the big takeaway, this one got a lot of traction with all sides talking. Dana White says no as Triller tried to make Oscar De La Hoya versus George St. Pierre. And um, I know you weren't on, but we addressed it a little bit on last week's show. And um, one thing I really didn't acknowledge that I wanted to touch on, especially after we've gotten more information. You know, Oscar De La Hoya and Dana White, they're like the other arch nemesis of the promoting world. Dana hates Oscar and Oscar does not like Dana White. And I think one of the things, um, and I will say, it's like, well, is it just about GSP versus Oscar? I did say, yes, Dana has wanted GSP to fight again a long time. He wanted him to fight again after fighting Johnny Hendricks, and he wanted him to defend his title after he beat Michael Bisping. So obviously when you've offered GSP fights and told him you want him to fight, and he's like, no, no, no but now he wants to make money for his arch enemy. I do think that there was a personal factor there that I didn't acknowledge last week. But after seeing Mm -hmm. these comments lately, I couldn't find... I I just found myself more like... (sighs) Like... You know, like... You know GSP isn't going to fight more MMA. Just let him make the money. Uh, How did you feel about this? This is a man who's those... Sorry, because I, I have I have feelings. Sorry mm-hmm. to interrupt. Um, no, like so. Here's the thing: I don't know a lot about the. I read up a little bit on it today yeah. uh, for us to do the show, but um, I think we can always find that kind of excuse to for Dana White for all the sociopathic fucking things that he does all the time. He's a businessman. He's running a business, and he's making the decisions that go with his business. Like we've established that comment person on MMA fighting's comment section. You don't have to point that out for me. I know it. I'm not stupid. We live on the same planet. At the same time, it's just so fucking petty because you're talking about a fighter who has done so much for your company. Like GSP with all the like whatever friction with the UFC, which is natural because of course you have you seen how the UFC negotiates? Of course, like if you're a person with a fucking pulse, you're gonna have problems. Like you're gonna have friction. But anyway, you have the who did so much, who you know contributed so much for your company, who retired, came back, fought Bisping, like did the whole thing. He could be so now he wants to make a fight that'll make money. And it's, of course, it's different than an MMA fight. He would train for it differently. The expectations are different. The pressure is different. He has a legacy in MMA. He built that. And he retired in such a fucking beautiful way. Such a fucking 
perfect way. He he gets to have that for himself and try himself at boxing, knowing that he would be taking a risk. Because I was actually reading an MMA fighting story with him talking a little bit about that. And it's like I'm under no illusion that I would go in there and necessarily win. Like this is a person who was at the very peak of his sport, the sport that I'm <laughs> that I was never in. So mm-hmm. like I'm not. I'm, it's different, and it's totally different, right? It's a different vibe. It's a more friendly thing. I understood it would involve money for charity too, like as a way to kind of show that it's not necessarily like a stiff competition. So everything you said, I understand because, you know, it would take being a little magnanimous in a way to be like, you know what? I don't like this guy. I don't like what they're doing. They compete with me because say what you will about Triller at this moment there is like you're taking i guess viewers from the ufc you could say i don't know if that's accurate on paper but it does kind of feel that way in the culture um so i can i can see all that still i think it's petty you know still it fucking infuriates me (laughs) that this is happening and i was reading a lot of comments saying things like oh just be signed the contract. So that's on him. And I, we hear that so much, right? Like yeah. with everything. Oh, they signed the contract. So, you know, they should not be complaining. Like as if you sign a contract and your soul is there forever. He hasn't, he has had one fight in the last seven years. Like just let him go. Let him do that. So that's my two cents. Like I said, I haven't done that much reading. Maybe I'm missing some nuance in the negotiation but as a general my general opinion of this is that it's petty and a guy like George St. Pierre deserves to be doing that kind of thing at this stage of his life and career. And there was one person apparently standing between that happening and not happening. And we saw what that choice was. So that, yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, I, I get it on a lot of the business levels and the personal levels, but when I look at the GSP you know, finale as a whole, it's like, I understand in the moment, you know, you went through that phase with now you're building up Robbie Lawler and then obviously later Tyrone Woodley and, you know, that we we went through a transition from going from not just the welterweight goat, but the arguable goat and to now, you know, the next phase, it, it was tough, you know, to build that behind the welterweight champion. Mm-hmm. But that being said, when you look at, you know, like, look, it happened years ago, and now when you talk about the middleweight division, the right guy got to the title. Rob Whitaker got there, and you had Yoel Romero and, you know, everyone up there. Uh, now, obviously, we're with Adesanya, but it, there was never a time where I felt like, you know, we had a great, I'll say it, it almost felt like a showcase fight, St. Pierre versus Bisping. But the best mm-hmm. middleweight in the UFC got to the title. And that was, Ad- you know, Whitaker and then Adesanya. Yeah. So I really feel like uh, I can understand the frustration a bit there, but it all ended out okay. So now yeah. that, you know, you have nothing else to gain from St. Pierre in the cage, I do feel like, hey, yeah. if anything, this is younger GSP taking on old Oscar De La Hoya. This is mm-hmm. your chance to make your money back from Snoop Dogg, allegedly. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Uh, and you know, put a you know, your send your boy to handle business. If I'm being honest with you, um, look, Oscar's a great was a great boxer in his time, but this is George St. Pierre, how much younger and athletic and faster. Yeah, 
against yeah. um I don't want to look at Oscar De La Hoya's age because I'll be more frightened for him. I'm actually looking now just because I got curious. And Joseph Pierre being a fucking athlete through and through, right? Because he see? never stops training. He's never out of shape. That man is just like made from uh other it's not human stuff. Did you oh, see Oscar him is on... only forty eight. Only forty eight. <laughs> Only oh, 48, a baby. Paul so Felder reti so retired. He's 37. <laughs> no, but um, my th did you see GSP? Like, I he was just posting a workout on Instagram. That dude looks like he could be ready to fight in three weeks. That, yeah. This is not. <laughs> I don't care how much more experience Oscar has. This doesn't end well. Um, that that's my two cents. But um. Uh, it ends well with making money, which yes. is be making bank. I know it's ah, it is what it is, but um, yeah. yeah. I, I I just uh, as it's gone on, uh, as I saw it more and I thought about it more, I was like, you know, they, I I, did, I underestimated, you know what? Because I was doing research and I was like, oh yeah, the the Oscar Dana thing. I think Dana would rather than see Oscar get beat, he would rather not put money in his wallet. So that is what it is. Especially I remember the whole Golden Boy MMA thing with Chuck and Tito and yeah, it's uh it's been a saga for those two. Um guys, so like I said, no major MMA this week, which by the way, I when you think about the fact that we've had Last month, we were coming off every week. There was UFC, Bellator, PFL, one championship. To now have a week where we have literally none of those promotions doing anything at all is just like, I almost don't know how to react, Fernanda. It's very like, oh, like, am I supposed to go outside and smell the roses now? <laughs> but, um, you know, I want to... Are you vaccinated? You're allowed. Right? Um <laughs> California, man. I'm it's not a, yet. I can't even go smell roses. <laughs> it's a... Uh, you, when you talk to people around the world, it's like, dude, are they really... It's like... <sighs> we could be here all day. That's another podcast. But, um, yeah, it's quite something. But um, I want us to have some fun because you explore quite a lot of different stuff on The Best Camp of My Life, your podcast. And, of course, you know, you talk about everything from... You know, the best Van Damme characters to RuPaul's Drag Race on Fanbyte. So this was a segment I really wished I'd gotten to do with you on your show, but I figured we could do it on mine. Um, the top four MMA fighters that we would want with us in a zombie apocalypse. And I gave you a little bit of criteria. We're not talking yeah. day zero. We're talking yeah. six months in. Society has completely collapsed. We are fully walking dead, okay? <laughs> So okay. I figure, you know, you give one, I give one, and uh, we'll go from there. And just a brief reason why. So I'll let you kick okay. it off. Which is the first fighter taken with you to the apocalypse? I So I had like a similar list for Fanbite, even though it was not necessarily zombies. I left it open for whatever kind of apocalypse. And you did add the caveat that we're not talking immediate let's survive the situation thing but i will keep one of my picks from that one max holloway because max holloway has exactly the kind of chill energy that will counter 
my chaotic energy. Like I despair. I'm not a good problem solver. I'm terrible under pressure. Like I feel like I'd be freaking out all the time. Max Hall looks like the kind of guy that if you have a problem, you tell him that in your pedicure, he just goes like, take a breather. It's fine. We'll figure it out. And that's the kind of energy I will need in the zombie apocalypse. My first one, Bryce Mitchell. Very, you know, survivalistic. Like, look, we may have trouble finding food and all that for a while. Yeah, he's a little weird, but you know what? You almost feel like those guys are probably well suited for this. Look, he knows how to find roadkill and turn it into dinner. Knows how to fish, kind of. I just feel like he's got a lot of a set of skills that's very helpful if you're really out there with nothing but your wits about you. I feel like, you know, he he's already got a why you know, a big uh wardrobe of camo, so we'll be good hiding from potential threats. <laughs> I, you know, underrated sleeper pick, but I think Bryce Mitchell, he gets you out of a lot of situations. Uh, okay, I also think he might just kill you if it's for his own benefit, <laughs> but, okay. but I don't know him personally, just like judging by his political preferences, which might not be entirely fair, but... Uh, hey, I'm there's no politics in the apocalypse. <laughs> but there is the instinct to like say, like, fuck it. Uh, I, I will give you this, Mac, Max Holloway <laughs> might be like governor of the new world. For a while, <laughs> <laughs> but I will agree with you that Mike Bryce Mitchell has the like uh, survivalist whole situation and probably like knows how to handle knives. Yeah. Uh, my second pick will also I'm getting emotionally here, but I will I will stay with it. Um, I'm picking Angela Hill because Angela just seems like first of all like she could outrun the menaces and stuff. Um, she's always ready, always prepared, doesn't really get injured a lot, which is a good, it's a good skill to have because we probably will have limited access to the resources, the medical resources necessary. So she seems really cool. So if we're talking like years in, like I'm over the situation, I hate it here. Like, why am I still doing a live in this desolate, you know, infinite desert of sadness? Uh, I someone cool to like hang out with and shoot the shit so i'm picking angela hill all right i i like the reasons i'm gonna hit you with this one this one i was split because i was gonna go you know it could kind of be an either or laura senko yes she still counts or miranda or miranda maverick oh both pigs so here's the thing so why farming both of them know how to run a farm, know how to grow crops, very even keeled, particularly, you know, if you've talked to both of them, you'll see this, but, you know, very intelligent. I feel like very good set of skills and then the ability, you know, if we find another community, you know, the peacemaker, build that bridge, build trust. I feel like, you know, either Laura or Miranda, you know, you can work with both of them. And like I said, farming a lot of skills i don't have they know it and then if the stuff goes down they know how to fight too so that's an important pick i needed a farmer on my team and i'm gonna go with uh maverick or senko that's good and actually when um i did the original post somebody was like uh said hannah cyphers oh yeah because she's like got the farming stuff 
So I will not pick Hennessy first for mine um, because like we're both socially awkward and I don't think that that's a good combination. Uh, but I do agree with you that it is important to have somebody who will know how to like work the land. Um, okay, I since we're X fighters are still okay. Um, I'm going to go with Crow Cop. He was not on my post and I wanted somebody who wasn't. Because Crow Cop, obviously, former cop, knows how to deal with guns and things. Like, has that kind of training. Um, I feel like he also has, like, just the right amount of, like, cold blood to make important decisions. Also has a sense of humor. And I feel like, and this is very important. I've talked about this before. Like, I do feel like we need somebody who will kill me if necessary. If I get bitten <laughs> by a zombie, I don't want to become a zombie. So I need somebody who's going to be like, you know what? It is what it is. I'm sorry, but <laughs> I need to kill you right now. And I feel like a, a few people would have that, uh, that <laughs> same skill, uh, to be perfectly honest. But I do, I do think that Crow Cop would be that guy. So I'm going with him. I mean, I feel like I got that cover with Bryce, but I think Crow Cop would be nicer yeah. about it with me. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. I think he would make it funny. Like he yeah. would make it like a like a fun thing. Like, ah, Dad, yeah. cool. Like I, I would just rather close your rather. eyes, Gabriel. I'll make it quick. <laughs> no. Go to the light. You know what? Uh, just kind of like a token pick. Uh, we need muscle. We need Francis Ngannou. You just want like that battering ram. Any situation, just break down the wall to do what we need to do. So who better than the heavyweight champion right now? I feel like, look, if you got to, you know, tailgate one guy out of a situation, you got to go with Francis. So he's my pick. Number three. He came up a lot too when I was um, doing my list with people like, I think he's just, a, like you said, just that one strong person who can like break a zombie like literally in half. So I can see it. Okay, so this is my final pick. I think I have it, but I'm like, I'm tired. So mm -hmm. I usually don't like the Shevchenko sisters because I think that it's obvious like everybody knows that they can like fuck you up <laughs> but I will go with Valentina Shevchenko here I just think that she knows how to handle guns of course which is important I think she's also cold-blooded uh, enough to like make tough decisions when the time calls she'll kill she you looks like <laughs> she will kill me. She will kill me, but also other people. Uh, I feel like she might, we've had this conversation in MMA a lot, but she may or may not have special training to be like a literal killing machine. Who knows? I'll take my chances. So I just think that she's like the perfect apocalypse person. To be. She speaks multiple languages. She's adaptable. She's well-rounded. She's got a lifetime of athleticism. Also not one to get injured. So yeah, going with with, with Valentina Shevchenko here. I feel like, um, uh, you know, Valentina is probably one of my favorite just individuals, characters we have in MMA. And what I like about Valentina and the zombie apocalypse is that if she was ever on one of those shows, 
you'd feel like she'd have that secret mission, like she knows where the secret bunker with the politicians is hiding. And right? It's like, That's uh, the thing. Yes, and like you and can't she, ask why, because like she can't tell you. Yes, but she knows. And she'll be like the one to like you know triangulate with the stars and all that. And then one <laughs> morning she finds like this random chain on a random farm pulls it and it's like the secret door with the you know secret service logo that's who valentina is on a zombie show she has that storyline you know what i mean and it's like the whole time you thought she was just looking for her sister or something um you know i watch uh, i'm a big fan of the walking dead i can't wait for the last season well kind of it's bittersweet you know uh my final one i really like this pick uh Tony Ferguson, and let me just say why, because, uh, you know, he's a little wild, but when I was thinking about Tony, I was like, let's say we're in that scene where, you know, like they're closing in, there's like a hundred of them, there's no way out, and it's like, it's just me with like the axe, and I'm back to back with one guy, I was like, I know he's run on tough times right now, but I feel like Tony Ferguson is the guy who's you know, if it's going to be ride or die to make it out of the impossible situation, nothing but just our own, you know, ganas is going to be yeah. Tony. So I was like, you That's know, and, and so, you know what, to, you know, the season finale, you know, to get out of it back to back, they're closing in. I want to ride with Tony. I think he's going to be the guy <laughs> to get me out of it. And he will, he looks like the kind of guy that instead of being the one who kills you, like who would sacrifice himself for you. Like he looks like the kind of guy. At the same time, he could just get like really paranoid and turn on everyone. So who knows? He is, like I said, it's wild. It's like a, it's a wild pick, but also an entirely understandable one. And he will keep things interesting. That we know. He, he You'll never the, be bored. He is the type of guy to let himself get turned into a zombie just to find the cure. <laughs> <laughs> that is absolutely true. That's the perfect read on Tony, to be honest. There you go. I absolutely agree with your pick now. Well, thank you. Thank you. Well, Fernanda, thank you for playing. And thank you for joining me on my podcast. It was a lot of fun to have you. Like I said, uh, this coming Saturday, there isn't anything, but next week we will be looking ahead to UFC Vegas 28, Jorginho Rosenstrike taking on Augusto Sakai. That'll be a fun one in the heavyweight division. But yeah, Fernanda, just uh, once again, where can fans keep up with you um, to just, you know, obviously get a lot more of your pop cultural references and your A-plus tweets and thoughts on the world of mixed martial arts? Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Nanda Prachis, P-R-A-T-E-S underscore. Um, and I'm not sure about A+, but I'm there. And there are tweets, so make of it what you will. <laughs> and I'm on fanbyte.com, uh, writing about all pop culture and zombies. And uh, like we've established Van Damme, a lot of Van Damme. But also MMA sometimes. Um <laughs> if I'm feeling particularly spicy that week. Mm -hmm. And on my very own podcast, I'm actually, there's two uh, now. I keep forgetting. Oh. Uh, I have podcast, Best Camp of My Life, which I host all by my lonesome, uh, even though I do have guests occasionally. And You'll Love to See It, which is a movies podcast, which, uh, yeah, three co-hosts and it's really what it sounds just us talking about movies they're all in fan bites so yeah plenty of options if you're weird enough to want to see what i'm up to 
You know what I think a lot of people are, if I'm being honest. So, Fernando, once again, thank you guys. And, of course, guys, Natalie will be back next week, so no worries there. And until then, take care, have a good spring break, and enjoy the lack of fights. Have a good one.